Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Have you ever had, like, the perfect morning? You know, where, like, you slept in and got all the sleep you needed, but you were still on time for all things you needed to do. You got up, you slept in because the kids slept in, the dog slept in, everything was perfect. The sun came up gently and, and gently woke you up, you know? And, like, you got a nutritious breakfast that morning. You managed to read your Bible and pray and meditate and get a workout in. And you picked out your outfit for the day to go into work, and it was perfect. And you, your hair was just right. And you get in the car, and the, and the DJ played that Britney song. The Britney song came on, and the Britney song came on, you know. And then you threw your hands up, and it was like, oh, they're playing my song, you know. You ever had that moment, like it was perfect, and then traffic was light. Like, it was just great. And then you got to work, and like, you got that email from that angry customer and lost that account, or... Your boss says we need to talk and have that meeting, and it was that kind of meeting, you know, and or the coffee machine broke or the heater stopped working in there. You know, like everything went wrong, and you're like, what is going on here? Like I had this. I was, I was as the least amount of anxious I could be. I was set. I was ready to seize the day, and it just feels like everything was conspiring against you that day, you know. Some of that it's coincidence, right? Sometimes it's not like the whole universe is plotting against you, right? Some of it might be satanic attack, I don't know. Um, but, but, but I think we've all experienced that and, and, and experienced w- w- what we might call some form of sabotage. But what I can tell you is that when people come after you and they, and they try to sabotage you, uh, that's actually quite predictable. When you Step up and take what we've been talking about in this series. When you take a non-anxious, self-differentiated stand and you say, this is who I am and this is what I'm about, you can predict that people will come after you. There will be some sabotage that comes along with that, especially when you say, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. And that changes the way you relate to somebody else or it maybe changes some things for them. When you change a system, whether it's in your family or at work, or at school, um, in your friend group, when you change something in the system, what happens is people revolt. Like there will be some sort of revolution, but we won't call it revolution. Maybe we'll just call it sabotage. Sometimes it's dramatic, or sometimes it's subtle, but usually changes bring about sabotage. And the reason why is all of us experience change as a form of loss. Even good change is a form of loss. If you think about it, if you think about some changes in your life that could be good, I got a promotion, I got, I'm making more money now, I got married, I wanted to get married, I moved to this, into this new house, I got a new car, whatever it is, those are all changes, and a lot of those we would say are good changes, but they are a form of loss. You getting married changes relationships with other people. You getting this promotion changes the way you relate to coworkers, perhaps. So all change can be experienced as a form of loss, and so when people experience that, they go through change near you, around you, a lot of times they're going to come back at you with some sort of revolt or some sort of pushback. Um, I've seen this my whole life in, in, in different ways, and you, you probably you'd see this in your family too if you really look at it. Like in the family I grew up in, for example, 
Um, when I went off to college, I was the last one in my family to leave and, and go. And so I was leaving, and I'm leaving my mom home um, by herself. And um, I don't think I appreciated 18 going multiple states away off to college, how hard that would be for her. Because I'm 18, I'm like, I'm going to go have an adventure. And I didn't, I didn't see like, oh, um, this is a form of loss for her. Because it, it didn't feel like a loss for me in the moment, right? It was exciting, but it was sad for her. And, we, and she and I, we had some fights around that time because there's pushback in the system because there's a change going on. And it, it's, it, it can be a, a form of, of a sabotage. And it's, it can be a challenging thing. I've seen change when people say, this is what we are, this is what we're going to stand for. I've seen that rattle people in churches. Like if you go to churches all over the country and you change a little thing, you can watch people get rattled. If you're a church that's like super traditional and you bring in a drum kit, you can watch people freak out just lose their stuff because they're like, what's going on? Um, you bring about little changes, people freak out. You change the bulletin. You change what small groups are offered. You change up the chairs. I just tell you what, here's a little update. I talked to the Bird Theater this week, signed another lease with them to be here for a long time. That's cool. Uh, <coughs> changes are coming to this building. Uh, particularly, you know how those seats are pretty good and those are not? And those really are not, that's all going to change this year. Well, those will still be good. Those are going to get good to match those is what's going to happen. I found that out this year. So that's, that's cool. So those of you who are new here and you're sitting on the sides, you're in the cheap seats. You just don't know it. Like, <laughs> there's more like room in the middle. Just consider. Um, uh, so, but, but all change is a form of loss, and it can rattle people, and people push back. Um, in our church, uh, we're not a very traditional church, and I have been impressed over the years how people don't freak out about a bunch of change. But I can remember times, even in our church, not traditional, right? But I can remember times when we did something simple like, we're going to stop serving coffee once the worship service starts. Oh my goodness, you would have thought, you know, we've done the worst thing, and like people like came after us with like, you know, stirring sticks or whatever. They were like, I can't believe, you know, where's my coffee? You know, like... It happens, and they, people get rattled by change. You know this. And no wonder where our culture is so anxious, because we are living in a time of a lot of change. A lot of things are different over the last decade or even the last few years, and, um, and, and we get anxious. Um, and you see that in your personal life, too. If you're a school teacher, you get in a rhythm. You know what you're doing. You're like, I'm good. I've got this. I, I had a good year here at school. And, you know, you start into the next school year, and the administration comes along, and they're like, you know how you did everything last year? We're not going to do that this year. Here's the new thing that you need to be teaching towards and following. You're like, oh, my goodness, what are they doing to me? I, I, you know, they're changing it. You're a nurse. You're like, I've got these shifts. I like the shifts that I'm working. And they come to you and they're like, you know how you had a great schedule of shifts and the, how that works? That's now going to change because we need to do this, this, and this. And you're like, they're changing the system again on me over and over. You know how you made good sales last quarter in your, in your sales job? Well, that's all got to change because we're going to use this software now that you're not used to. And we're like, there's just so much of that stuff. Everybody tinkering and changing things, and sometimes it feels like they're changing the things that work. No wonder we're so anxious. Um, all change can be experienced as a form of loss, and, and we get anxious. And when you take a non-anxious, self-differentiated stand, and you say, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, uh, some people are going to try to sabotage that, and the, their anxiety is going to go up, and they're going to try to raise your anxiety so you will switch back to who you used to be before or what you used to be before, and they're going to throw a wrench in your, in your system. So this is an important pop, uh, topic today. 
Um, and I think we really need to deal with this. We've talked about over the, this whole month how we don't know what's coming in 2024, but how can we be non-anxious people in an anxious age? And part of that is to be self-differentiated, to be dialed into God and our identity in him, and then, and then stand, this is who we are, this is where we're at, to stand there. Then uh, we talked about how to be emotionally connected. You don't just take a stand and cut people off. How do you remain emotionally connected? And then finally, after you've done that, to wrap all this up, how do you deal with the sabotage that comes? Because being self-differentiated is hard, being emotionally connected is hard, but dealing with the sabotage that comes, that is the real challenge. Author Jeksha Thomas says it this way, changing how you function is like getting to the curb. It's the easy part. Dealing with the sabotage that will certainly occur is like getting across the street without getting run over. You won't be aware of what's coming at you or you won't make it. So for our main example of this, this entire series, we're looking at Jesus. Jesus taught and he said, this is who I am, this is what I'm about. And he taught about who God is, about the nature of reality. I mean, he picks up big topics in the history of the world, like he's talking about what humanity is and how we were designed and who God is. This is big stuff. So Jesus teaches all of that, and then um, he challenges people, and his teaching changed things for people. It changed the way they related to God or, or maybe to each other, and, um, you know, they didn't necessarily like that. His teaching challenged his hearers. So you would expect to see in Jesus' life that he's going to get quite a bit of sabotage. There's people that are going to be like, I don't like what you're saying, and I want you to, you, you to stop. Um, and, and so people try to stop him. And I want to give you a couple examples of how Jesus navigated sabotage and look at things we can learn from him. First, from his, um, from his family. When Jesus started, he went from being a carpenter to this traveling sort of uh, rabbi, preacher, teacher guy around the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. And when he made that transition, that is change, right? That's a change for his family. His family knew him as a carpenter, uh, an impressive one. But, but they saw him as this builder kind of person. And then he's suddenly out teaching. And he's teaching and drawing crowds by the thousands. He's healing people. He's saying challenging things. And his family gets a little rattled by this. And so they come to him in Mark chapter 3, uh, effectively to, co- to go get him. Listen to, what the, l- listen to what happens. Mark 3, 20 and 21. They, then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Okay, so here's family sabotage, like right up front. Jesus is saying, this is who I am. He's teaching, he's healing, he's doing all these things. His family hears about it, his mother and his brothers and all that. They hear about this. And they're like, he's out of his mind. Now, my question when I read that is, do they think that? And are they, are they raising this issue because they're worried about him? They're worried about what's going to happen to him if he keeps saying the things that he's saying? Or are they worried about themselves? Are they worried about, this looks bad for the family when this guy's out saying these things? I mean, we don't have a lot of experience with that, right? But you could imagine... If your brother becomes president of the United States or something like that, that changes things for you too, right? Someone gets to that level. If your sister is Taylor Swift, that's going to change your life. I don't even know if she has sisters. I'm not a fan. I don't know. But I'm just saying, just alienated half the room, sorry. Uh, I'm just saying when someone close to you becomes a thing, it changes your dynamic as well. And so you see here his family sort of coming after him. In fact, they go, to, they go to find him when he's teaching, 
And it, further down in that chapter, verse 31, it says this, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Weird. You read that and you're like, this is anti-family. Well, he's, he's defining things a, a bit differently. And he's saying, there's a family of God here. There's a community here. There, he's building something. And this is, this is the family, not just the people you were born and have blood relationship to, but this family of God, this new community that he's building, he's talking about that. And, and they're coming after him and, and saying, we need to pull you back and rein you in. And he's saying, no, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And he, he basically sidesteps their sabotage by re, essentially restating who he is and what he's about and what he's building. So point number one is this. When sabotage comes, stay focused on who you are and what you are called to do. For, for Jesus' family, they see him as a carpenter. And, and if he had stayed that, that would have helped their anxiety. Their anxiety is going up because he's starting to act differently. And he's starting to say all these things. So their anxiety level goes up. What often happens in that situation is the family will go to the family member who they perceive as causing the anxiety change, anxiety, and they go to that person and say, you need to switch back or, or whatever. And uh, there's an adaptation, there's a temptation there to adapt. They, they were pressuring Jesus to adapt. And you see that in your own family systems as well. You have to adapt. Um, and Jesus, in this case, because he's locked in with his heavenly father, he does not uh, adapt. Instead, he restates who he is. Now, to do that well, this is going to take a lot of internal work. It's very easy to be like, you're not, you know, you guys don't know me or whatever. Like, it's easy to do that in an immature way. But to actually do the work, dial into God, the stuff we talked about in the first couple weeks of this series, to do that work, um, know who you are, know who you belong to, to do that work and then to take a stand, um, that, that takes some work to, to get there, to know who God made you to be. But when you uh, take that stand, you have to stay focused and recognize that not everybody around you will like uh, the changes. I've had to learn this over and over and over again. Um, I am not, maybe by personality, the biggest people pleaser, but I have it in me just like you have it in you. I have this thing in me where I want to be liked and I want to say things that people like from here or uh, interpersonally when we're getting together. Um, and and uh, it's a challenge because over the years people have come to me and they say, well, you know, uh, Chris, you're doing this thing wrong or this is frustrating me or this is not the way the church should function or, or, or all these things. And Sometimes I've been able to say, no, this is where we need to be and, and take a stand and say this is what is true and right and good with confidence. And other times I have folded and said, okay, I'll, I'll change that or, or oh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to rattle you. Let's do it your way. And, and I've sort of buckled and I've kind of lost my focus on who I am and who I'm called to be. This isn't to say that every decision I make is, in leadership is perfect. That is not true. And I'm not above being challenged and, and, and pushed um, but I have found myself at times giving in when the sabotage comes. I get to the curb, I step out, a car bumps me, and I back off to the curb, and I go, okay, no, 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 that's fine, we won't, we won't do that. 
So we need to, um, when the Sabbath Sash comes, follow Jesus' example here, restate who we are, what we're called to be, um, and, and go there. Second point, uh, when sabotage comes, is we need to this. Number two, take a pause. Take a pause. Here's a, uh, we'll just do this one quickly. This is interesting. Uh, John chapter 8 says this. I love the story. We've, I've taught it here from stage several times. Um, but just to get this point out of it. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Weird detail, right? They come at him... It's clear their motives. They want to test Jesus. They want to catch him in something. And so they're bringing someone who was, in adult, who was committing adultery. They bring this lady before uh, Jesus, and they're like, you know, should we stone her, basically throw rocks at her till she dies? Because there's laws about these sorts of things, and this is what we do, and this is how we handle this, and should we do this? And if he says yes, then he's saying you should murder someone. If he says no, then he's going against the law. And there's like this whole, like, can't win situation. And... You can imagine the anxiety level, particularly for her, which is, it's got to be like her, her life's hanging in the balance, and then this angry mob coming to Jesus, bringing all this anxiety and pressure into the situation. They do that, and then we get this detail that Jesus stops, and he just kneels down, and he starts writing on the ground with his finger. It's a weird detail. But as, as you read on the story, he's going to pause like that again. He takes a moment. He takes a beat. He takes a pause. He slows things down, catches his breath, I don't know, count to ten, something, to, to defuse some of the anxiety in the situation, especially when sabotage is coming. It, it helps to take a pause. Again, author Jack Shatama, I've rarely been in a situation where pausing to allow a thoughtful response has been a problem. Right? Take a moment, breathe deep. Um, in, in principle, I agree with him. Um, in practice, it's hard to take a pause and be silent when pressure is coming. Um, I, I think I can be uncomfortable with silence at times. If there's silence, I feel like I should run my mouth. Maybe I'm an extrovert. Maybe that's just that's me. Um, but I'm sure you can relate. A lot of you could probably relate too. No, I, I, I'm not going to. I'm going to be quiet here. This is the time I'm supposed to speak up and say a thing. And it's like, well, there will be time for that. But maybe first, when sabotage comes, when the anxiety level is high, you can help diffuse it by just take a breath, breathe deep, count to ten, take a pause. Uh, number three is this. Avoid getting sucked into other people's issues. Avoid getting sucked into other people's issues. Because a lot of times the sabotage that comes is not about the thing you're doing, but it's about their thing, or they want you to deal with their thing, or they want you to handle things in a certain way. Look how Jesus masterfully does this. Luke chapter 12, this, he's teaching the crowd, and, and then it says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So 
this story kind of gets inserted in there, Jesus teaching, doing these things, and someone from the crowd speaks up. And you can imagine, you know, you go, you go hear Jesus, you hear he's a wise teacher, maybe the highest authority you've ever heard. You're like, this guy's incredible. And maybe his brother was standing right there, this guy. And he goes, uh, yeah, I got a question. It's one of those questions that's not really a question, you know. I got a comment. Hey, teacher, uh, can you tell my brother that the inheritance that's coming from dad, um, he needs to split that with me. Could you solve this for us? And this is, this is a weird spot to be in. And Jesus, his response is like, who made me your judge? I'm not arbitrator over you. And then he gets to really the heart of the issue. Hey, this is about splitting up money. Beware about what it means to covet. Beware about what's actually going on in your heart here. So he goes right at the heart issue. But he doesn't fix their problem. Not, not directly. Maybe those words sunk into that guy, but he doesn't actually go right into solving the person's problem. And I think that's such an interesting reaction from Jesus because I think I would act so differently in that situation. Maybe you would too. If someone came to me like that, I would be like, oh, oh, okay, um, let me fix that for you. Uh, let me talk to that. I'll talk to that guy later. We'll have a sit down. Let's all get coffee and maybe we can work this out. And, and, and I would want to fix it because I don't want other people to be in pain. I don't want there to be conflict. And I want to be helpful. Don't you? Don't you want to be helpful to people? I want to solve it. I want to alleviate your pain. I want to make this better for you so that you're not in conflict. That's the way I would be. And Jesus just doesn't do that. He, he sees the way he is getting triangled and pulled into something that is not his thing. And he stays a little bit out of it. It sounds like good leadership to step in that moment and fix the situation, but it isn't. In order to be non-anxious presence in the world, you just can't get sucked into other people's issues. And here's why. This doesn't mean don't care about other people's issues, but you can't always get sucked in, and here's why. Because you can't solve problems that people have with other people. Like, you're not going to solve that. If person A comes to you and they, and they have a problem with person B and they drag you in as person C and they say, C, can you solve the problem between A and B? You cannot. You cannot. You can give advice. You can listen closely and, and, and be supportive. Um, but you cannot do much for a relationship that you're not actually a, a part of. I, I've seen this over the years. I remember... Uh, I remember one time, uh, two ladies that were angry at each other in church, and uh, they, had, they had some conflict, and both of them are coming to me to fix the other person. And they're saying, well, you go tell her this, and you deal with her this way, and you bring some, you know, correct her in this area, and you challenge, and, and uh, you know, I was, well, maybe I should, and maybe I should talk to this person, you know, like trying to, trying to sort that through. But the reality is their problem was with each other, and I can't solve that, um, the best I could do is encourage them. I could listen, but say, you really actually need to just talk to each other about this and not, and not bring me in on this. Um, you need to go to each other, sit down, and, and graciously resolve it. Um, and it. And it didn't work, but both of them ended up uh, walking away from our church, irritated with each other, and then also irritated with me because I, I didn't solve it or do exactly the, what they wanted. It is just so easy to get sucked into other people's problems and issues um, when the truth is you can't necessarily um, resolve this. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Um, If your sister does something ridiculous, whatever, let's say you're an adult and your sister's 
doing something crazy. And your mother calls you and says, will you talk to your sister? Just watch out. <laughs> that's, that's what sabotage sounds like. That's what, that's what triangulating, triangulation sounds like. You, I, I'm upset with your sister. You fix it. You step in and, and fix that situation. Um, and we have to be very aware uh, when, that, when that comes. Um, and then finally, this, a last, a last point here. In order to handle sabotage, you need to increase your tolerance for other people's pain. Now, that's heavy. And let me explain what I mean. Um, there is a trend in culture, especially right now and in the last probably decade. And I've, when I get on LinkedIn, I see this all over the place. Uh, I see this in leadership books. Uh, I have read a lot on this. Um, there is a trend where we are told that what you need to do to lead well is to be empathetic. You need to feel other people's pain and understand their pain points and really get in there with them in the pit and, and understand them and see the world the way they see it. There's a huge trend toward empathy, so much so that if you said a word against empathy in our current culture, you're like a monster, okay? Like how could you, who could ever be against empathy? Um, and, and generally, I think that trend towards empathy um, is, is a good thing because if the alternative is to be an unfeeling jerk, if that's what we think the alternative is, that's not a good way to lead anybody. Yeah, have empathy. Feel the pain of your employee or your employer or your coworker or feel empathy for a friend who's going through stuff, for your children as they struggle because life is hard when you're little, right? Feel empathy uh, you know, feel the pain of the people around you. Be in touch with your team or your kids or your sports members or your students at school. Yes and amen to all of that. But we need some balance in that idea. We need some balance. And let me say this, and, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding like a monster, um, we, um, we have to wrestle with this. Because um, you and I as employers, employees, uh, teachers, um, siblings, kids, parents, all that, uh, we need to be okay with other people not being okay around us. Um, and here's why. Because almost all growth comes from people sitting in pain and getting through it. Almost every way you have grown and gotten better in your life, it came when it, it just went bad for you and you learned how to overcome it. And if our gut reaction is always to go there with you and try to smooth it over and give you a soft landing, you're, you're actually robbing people of the opportunity to grow. Sometimes what is needed is not a soft landing. Sometimes what's needed is a hard landing where you say, ouch, and you decide not to ever do that again. That's reality, and, in, and sometimes it comes out of being people pleasers. Sometimes, it, you know, and we may call it empathy. We may call it a lot of things, but we have this thing in us of like, oh, let me make this better for you, and in doing so, we are robbing that person of the opportunity to grow. Now, if that sounds harsh, it, I, it probably sounds harsh because of the culture that we live in right now because when I read Jesus, what he does, he does this quite a bit. 
the rich young ruler comes to him. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The rich young ruler comes to him, and he wants to get it right. And Jesus profoundly disappoints that man and sends him away. And it even tells us that Jesus loved this guy. So he's feeling it. But Jesus was fine sending him away and letting him walk away disappointed. And Jesus does not go after him and beg him to stay and come back. And no, no, okay, I get where you're coming from. And it's like, he doesn't do that. He's okay letting that guy have a hard landing. Entire crowds turned away from Jesus. He would say something that, that came, maybe they thought was awkward, you know. He would say these things. Entire crowds went away from him. And he doesn't go back and follow up and try to make it okay for them. He, he says what he needs to say, and he lets it be. Now, he will do, with the people that he knows and loves, he will do appropriate emotional connection, but he gives people free will to, to, to take what they're saying and take what he's saying and maybe grow from it or to walk away. This is, this is their choice. He doesn't, he doesn't beg people. He doesn't chase people. He doesn't coerce people. He gives them the free will to have a hard landing and then walk forward because that's what growth actually looks like. So self-differentiation, being emotionally connected, and then when the, self, when the sabotage comes, uh, we have to be okay with other people not being okay for a bit. And that is hard to live out, um, especially when, you know, them not being okay, they're going to blame you for it. Say, well, it's because you're this. That's why I'm not okay. Rather than them, you know, kind of owning, owning their all stuff own stuff. This is hard to live. This is hard for me to live out um, because we all want to be liked at, at the end of the day. We want, we think the path to low drama, you know, and, and low anxiety is to just give people what they want, be nice, you know, be liked. Um, but I think this is help, uh, but I think this idea is helpful. In fact, a, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was in a class on some of these sort of topics and, um, and this guy was talking about leadership and how when you, uh, when you speak up, sometimes you take a stand, people won't like you, and they're going to come at you in, in some form of sabotage. And this guy, I, I, I was going to quote him directly, but, I, you know, you don't know who he is. just the guy in a class I'm with. I didn't know if I was going to put the quote up and, and be like some guy named Stan or whatever. I just didn't think that would matter to you. But this guy, uh, he said these words, and when it, it just hit me when he said it. He said this, most people aren't against you. They are just for themselves. And I got to tell you how, as, as a leader, how liberating that quote was to me. Because it's, it's so easy to take it personally. Oh, they're coming after me. It's because you hate me, you whatever. Like, people are not necessarily just against you. They're just for themselves. People have stuff going on. And they're, all of us in this room, we're all experiencing it and we're all viewing through the lens of how does this affect me and what does it matter for me and and uh, and that's that's understandable We're, that's that's a human that's the human condition but you have to it 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 like dials my anxiety down to recognize that yeah you know most of the time people are, are not they're not they're not trying to rip you down they're just trying to make something in themselves feel better and feel congruent and and right and so we, we need to remember that. When we are tempted to be anxious, and, and who knows what else this year is going to have in store for us in 2024, an election year. When you are tempted to be anxious, this is your time to go to the Lord. We talked about it in weeks one and two. Uh, to, to go to him, to, to 
say, look, I'm his child, and, and I'm going to be, uh, and I'm going to dial this back by dialing into you. Go to him, pray, ask him to speak into your identity, and do this daily, daily prayer, reading, uh, meditation, uh, worship, all these things that we talk about. This stuff helps you get rock solid in your, in your core. Do that, um, and then you can take a stand and say, this is who I am. And when you do that, you reach out an emotional connection. You don't say, this is who I am, and it's my way or the highway. No, you reach out an emotional connection to the people that you love. And then, finally, you've got to stay alert for the sabotage that will, that will come. And, in fact, if you're not experiencing sabotage, you're probably not taking much of a stand. Like, the truth is, when you step up, it will come. And, and you have to go, okay, this is part of it, and, and understand that. And I think if we can do that... Uh, all, all, do those things and really do that work. This is how we can be a non-anxious presence in the midst of a very anxious age. All right, let's pray. God of peace, I pray that you give us peace and you help us to really dial into the source of that, to know you, to follow you, to honor you, to live our lives for you. God, help us to recognize the moments when, um, uh, have the wisdom to know that there are moments when we should um, listen and, and feel the pain with someone, and there are moments that we should um, maybe back off a bit and let them just kind of feel it so that they can grow and change from it. That, that stuff is tricky. Um, God, it, it's hard to discern sometimes when we're being sabotaged if it's because we're changing the system for someone else or if it's because we're a problem and we need to change some things and maybe we didn't handle things well, that stuff can be really tricky to navigate. Um, I ask that you give us a lot of wisdom and a lot of discernment and a lot of grace, Lord. Um, all of us need it. We need grace for ourselves, for, um, for each other when we don't do this stuff well. Um, Lord, uh, I, I just pray for the individuals in this church and this church as a whole in this city and in, in, in Virginia and in this country that we will be a, a force of non-anxiety. We will be a community of people who refuse to give in to all the narratives and refuse to get swayed and rattled and pulled by the advertising and pulled by the marketing that is designed to make us angry and afraid and anxious and voting a certain way and buying a certain product and doing a certain thing to solve our anxiety. And instead, we stay dialed into you and we go, you are the one who is in control. You know, of whom shall I be afraid? Um, you, are, you are the God and we will fear you only. Um, Lord, help us with that. Easy to say, hard to do. Um, help us with that this week, this month, and, and really throughout this entire year. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.